The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi guys, it's Gabby and welcome to What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. If you're new here, I'm Gabby. I'm the founder of What's Gabby Cooking, a best-selling author and now podcast host. What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking related questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry and so much more. I'm also highlighting super cool companies at the end of every episode so we can support small businesses in the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. Hi guys, happy Monday, happy birthday to me. We are getting right into it. I can tell that grilling is on everyone's mind. We have so many fun questions today. Everyone is clearly ready for summer. So let's dive right into it and get started. Hey Gabby, it's Erin from Syracuse, New York. Finally summer in upstate New York and I really want to do more grilling, but it kind of intimidates me. Um, I never know how to get the temperature right and I'm not sure how to do that and what's the best way for timing on the grill. Um, so any grill tips would be helpful. And thanks so much. Hi, Erin. Okay. So without knowing whether you have a charcoal or a gas grill, let's talk charcoal because I feel like that's probably the norm. And a lot of this stuff very easily translates to a gas grill. So here's the thing. Step number one, you always want to preheat the grill for like at least 15 minutes before you put anything on there. It's the same thing when you're searing something in a cast iron pan. You want the pan to be hot before you put anything on there because it's going to get that sear, which is what we're all looking for when we're grilling. So preheat the grill with the lid closed for at least 10 to 15 minutes before you put any food on. If you keep the lid down, your grill is going to retain more heat and things will grill faster. So just something to keep in mind. Also, you might want, this feels like a dissertation. I love grilling, but maybe invest like 10, 15 bucks in one of the grate cleaners because it's important that you clean your grates every time after you're done grilling or before you grill something next. So you have a really clean surface. As far as grilling times and temperatures, it's so dependent on what you're cooking. I kind of like to think about it this way, like direct versus indirect heat. If you're cooking something over direct heat, you're cooking it quickly. It's like small pieces of meat, like chicken or a steak or something that's going to cook in 20 minutes or less. Asparagus, you can cook over direct heat. Broccoli, broccolini, fish, stuff like that. It's going to be done quickly. Indirect heat is when you're putting it not quite over the fire, like off to the side. And it's going to be for larger, tougher cuts of meat that require more than 20 minutes of cooking. For example, the tri-tip in my second cookbook, Everyday California Food, that is an indirect heat thing. The two other things I want to talk about as far as grilling goes, caramelization is super important. So you want whatever you're grilling to be A, easily flippable, which means it's going to get that caramelization and like crust on one side before you flip it. Like you want it to be very easy to turn over the piece of chicken, the steak, whatever. You don't want it to stick to the grates. If it's sticking to the grates, it's not ready to flip yet and you're going to end up like not making it pretty. So just look out for that caramelization layer and like that outside skin basically that you're developing. That's important. And then the last thing Thomas will tell you is we are anti-lighter fluid in our house. Like when we use the charcoal grill, we use a chimney starter or those lighter cubes. Matt and Adam use those lighter cubes all the time. The lighter fluid can give your food a chemical taste. So maybe just like stay away from that. Hi, Gabby. This is Allison. I'm calling from Austin, Texas. First off, congrats on the new cookbook. And I am 
completely loving the podcast. They are my little bits of sanity while I clean the kitchen and do all the dishes from the day, managing two kids at home in quarantine. And I just love to hear your voice and all the advice you have. Uh, my question is this. We've managed to live in Texas now for two years without a grill. We're about to buy a grill and I am so excited to make all of your pizza recipes. And I was just wondering, what's the secret to success for grilling a pizza? I've never attempted it before. And I'm just wondering if there's certain equipment you like, like certain specific pizza stones, or, you know, some people say to like, grill it first and then flip it over and then add the topping. So just what's your secret to success for amazing, delicious pizzas? Can't wait. Thank you. Hi, Allison. Okay. So two thoughts on this. I'm of the mindset. You don't really need any equipment besides a great pair of tongs. I like to grill my pizza directly on the grates and you just need a good pair of tongs to flip it over. We'll get to the details of that in a minute. My parents' train of thought, they use a pizza stone on their grill and they leave it on there year round and then they heat it up, they let it get super hot and then they cook it on the stone. Either one is delicious. I prefer the great marks kind of on my pizza. So it's up to you. There's a stone linked on my master list if you want to check that out for grilling. It's like 20 bucks, super easy. Okay, that all said, here are some tips just like in general, regardless of what technique you're going for. You want to make sure the grill or the pizza stone is super hot. Like like I said earlier, you want to let everything preheat for like 10, 15, even 30 minutes because pizza's going to cook so fast on the grill. You want your grill to be like 500, 550 degrees before you put it on there. I put my pizza dough on the grill over direct heat and cook it on both sides. It's just very lightly oiled so it doesn't stick. Probably for 60 to 90 seconds per side, flip it, do the other side, and then I take it off and like make myself a little area by the barbecue where I can put all my toppings on and then reduce the heat to low or put it over indirect heat and let the cheese and the toppings kind of melt together. That's my personal preference. If you are doing the pizza stone, you can just assemble the whole pizza ahead of time and then shimmy it off of a pizza peel onto the stone and let it cook start to finish. No big deal. Something going back to there that I said about the workspace, super important that you have like a table or something set up near the grill because this all happens very quickly. So have all your toppings prepped, your cheese shredded, all that kind of stuff. And then if when you take your pizza off the grill, you have somewhere to put it on a clean surface, assemble, put it back on. We already talked about putting olive oil on the dough so it doesn't stick. I think that's pretty much it. I have a couple of videos on my IGTV about how I've cooked pizza on the grill before. I think those are very helpful because you can see me panic in the moment and how it ends up turning out. Like, Spoiler alert, it's usually very successful, but like I think everyone just has that moment of like, oh shit, what am I doing? But watch IGTV videos. I think they will help. <laughs> Hi, Gabby. This is Betsy from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and I use so many lemons and limes every day in all sorts of cooking and salads and drinks, whatever you can think of. But I am feeling so wasteful throwing out the rinds, like the outsides of my lemons and my limes. Do you think that I can get a microplaner and zest and get all the zest off the outside and then keep it in the freezer? And if so, what would you do with the zest afterward? Like I know you could do muffins with zest, but what else would you make with all that lemon and lime zest? Thanks so much. 
Hi, Betsy. I love that question. And I love that your mind went to muffins because my mind went the complete opposite way, which just goes to show there is no wrong answer to this. First, to answer your question, yes, I like to zest. If I'm going through a ton of like limes or something for margaritas, I will zest them all before I even slice limes and juice them because that way I have the zest. I can keep them. Here's what I do with it for lemons, limes, oranges. I put it in a little bit of olive oil and freeze it in ice cube trays. That way, when I need zest to add to a recipe, you can just easily pop one out and put it in. My mind, like your mind went to muffins, baked goods, stuff like that, which is totally fine if you don't you probably want the olive oil in that case. But for me, I tend to use it more in savory things. So if I have some frozen lime zest with a little olive oil, I'll add it into a curry or something right before I serve it because like an extra tablespoon of olive oil isn't going to hurt anything. And then you get all that flavor from the zest. Um, you could fold any of them into pastas or rice bowls or even like into the rice cooker right when the rice is done. So you can like put it in, pop the top back down and let it let the oil melt and the zest just infuse into the grains. You could throw that into a basil vinaigrette or a cilantro vinaigrette or something like that. You can also before you if you are not adding the oil, you could I'm just so excited. I feel like I'm talking so fast. Let's say you have a ton of lime zest. You can just dry it out and then blend it with some salt and then you have uh, lime salt. Same with lemon, same with orange. It's incredible. So that's what I would do. And that way you're not wasting it. But great idea. Way to be very resourceful. Hi, Gabby. My name is Erica. I'm calling from Oakland, California. And I'm very lucky during this time to have access to an organic farm that does produce boxes once a week for um, inexpensive. And I love their produce, but I'm getting a bunch of things that I've never cooked with before. So um, some examples for you are collard greens, a fennel bulb, and other things that I have cooked with before, but come in large quantities. Like I have three types of kale this week and I have Napa cabbage and I still have a head of Napa cabbage from last week. So I was hoping you could give me some ideas for uh, dishes to make with these things. And also maybe you could let me know how long I should keep these items for in my fridge um, before they go bad. Thank you so much. I've really been enjoying the podcast and take care. Bye. Hi, Erica. Okay, let's talk timing in the fridge first. So collard greens, I'm going to say four to five days. Kale usually can last a little bit longer, like I would say five to seven. A fennel bulb, if it's straight from the farm in a CSA, I would say you can keep it up to 10 days. That's what I've been doing. If it's from a grocery store, usually they've already like had a couple days of life before they get to the store. So then I would only keep it for five days for everyone listening who's not doing a CSA. Cabbage like basically 17 years. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Cabbage can last in the fridge for like up to two months. It's incredible. It's one of the most, it has a very long life. All right, let's talk about what to make with these things. If you saw the culinary school post on my website for the sauteed greens, I've been using my collard and kale to make greens. Like I just cook them down. I add garlic and shallot and white wine and lemon juice and salt and pepper and red pepper flakes. It is so good. You can eat it as a side dish. You can fold it into pasta. You can put it on like next to chicken, whatever it is. It's kind of been the like staple side of quarantine because of all the greens I've been getting in my CSA as well. Um, I think you'll be obsessed with that fennel. There is a recipe in, I think it's my second cookbook for a fennel slaw that it is. It's fennel slaw that goes on top of the branzino. Forget the branzino. If you don't have branzino, just make the slaw as like a side salad. You can put it on any sort of protein, any sort of fish. It's 
phenomenal or you just eat it on the side. Um, And lastly, cabbage. I'm going to link a ton of these in the show notes because I put a slot on so many things in the summer from like fish taco bowls, salmon tacos, baby back ribs, the sesame noodle salad and the rice noodle salad on my blog both have a ton of cabbage in it because they like wilts down slightly so you can get away with putting a bunch in there. The Asian chicken slaw, the ginger scallion bowls, the spicy peanut noodles on my site. I'm going to put them all below. These are the honey barbecued pulled pork burgers. I forgot about those. We've got you covered on the cabbage on what's got to be cooking. No questions asked. (laughs) Okay, let's do one more today. We'll do five. I'm feeling very generous. because it's my birthday. Just kidding. Hey, Gabby. It's Samantha in San Francisco. My question is, how long will something last in the fridge when I combine it together and there's different expiration dates? And an example of that is I made some fried chicken over the weekend. And so I made this really awesome honey mustard creamy sauce that you could put on top of the fried chicken sandwiches. And it's just mustard, honey, and mayo. And so once I combine them together, how long can I leave that in my fridge and how long will it be good for? Thanks. Love all your support and everything that you do. Hi, Samantha. So general rule for me for sauces in the fridge is five days. I know that all those expiration dates will say even longer, but I just feel like five days is when it's going to have, when you combine everything together, that's how it's going to, that's the longest it's going to have the max flavor for. You could freeze it and it would last a lot longer. But that's what I usually do five days like for basil vinaigrette can last a little bit longer because there's vinegar in it. I'm just saying because I've told we've talked about basil vinaigrette a lot before, but I would say like a creamy sauce five days max and just like put it on everything in the meantime, like pasta. Sure. Why not? All right. That's it for questions today. Let's talk about another super cool company. By the way, you guys, I have put all the companies we have featured none like these are not sponsored, by the way. I mean, that'd be great if they were, but like these companies are not paying me. I just really want to support small businesses. I put them all on the podcast tab over on What's Got Be Cooking for easy access for you guys if you ever want to reference back. But today's company, I want to tell you about this thing called this thing. It's a nut butter company called Ground Up. They're based in Portland and they have some of the most incredible nut butters on the planet. I'm talking about cinnamon snickerdoodle, coconut cardamom and chia seed, chunky almond cashew and coconut. They've got just like straight up hazelnut. They've got walnut cashew. My favorite is the classic smooth almond and cashew butter. They've got a nutty banana bread. It is next level freaking delicious. I'm obsessed with them. You should absolutely check them out. All right, that's it for today's What's Gobby Cooking in Quarantine episode. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays and Thursdays. If you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatscobbycooking.com. See you guys very soon. 